This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. It was a typical evening in the Grampian National Park of Southern Australia. The sun was just beginning to set as a local tourist stopped along the rural roadside to snap some photos of the scenic landscape that lay before him. As dusk settled, the photographer was set to take one last shot of the tree line against the dramatic sunset. When he stopped short, his breath caught in his throat at the sight of two large glowing eyes peering out of the bushes. He lowered the camera as a low, growling rumble came from the direction of the fearsome yellow eyes, narrowed into a slitted gaze. Sweating profusely, pulse pounding in his eardrums, the tourist's eyes darted from the bush to his car parked a little more than 20 meters away. But could he make it to the vehicle before the unknown creature had time to leap from its hiding place? Not risking another second, the man went berserk, throwing his arms in the air, screaming like a banshee as he barreled towards his vehicle. His eyes closed in terror until he slammed up against the side of his car door, then wrenching it open as he quickly scrambled back into his driver's seat. Eyes bulging, heart pounding with adrenaline, the man watched from his car as the creature leapt out of its hiding place and stealthily made its way up the embankment, across the highway and into the forest on the other side of the road. It was massive, bigger than any feral cat the man had ever seen before, and graceful as a panther. This tourist had just escaped the clutches of Australia's most elusive cryptid, the Phantom Panther. For centuries, witnesses across Australia have encountered creatures that are quite out of place. Join us on Into the Portal as we investigate one of cryptozoology's most elusive cases, Australia's alien big cats. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back, everyone, mm-hmm. to yet another episode. Andrew's and ready to go. He's got his new UFO hat on. Yeah, I'm <laughs> pumped. I found a UFO hat for $9.99. And it's sweet, too. It actually coincides with uh, Pride Week in uh, BC. So yeah, it it's actually, actually got a rainbow coming down. Yeah, it's from like it. a rainbow tractor beam. You'd think it was meant to be. I know, right? But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're just super stoked. Uh, little little tidbits to start off here. Mm-hmm. We've noticed some people are really digging on our T Public site. Yeah, we kind of forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we kind of forgot about it, and then next thing you know, we had a, we had some purchases and stuff. So that yeah. was really cool. But yeah, we um we want you guys to go check it out. Like we totally we don't really 
plug it much, but uh, yeah, we have a T Public site with some really cool designs mm-hmm. up there, like including our black and white into the portal logo. Classic. Which is just, it looks really good with a lot of the different color options and stuff. Like yeah. my favorite, and I still have to order it for myself, is the, um, there's this maroon crew neck oh. that it just looks really cool on. But we've got some other, so we have like our Ogo Pogo uh, design <gasps> from uh, Desdemona and... Uh, the peer into the portal one with yeah, all the cryptid creatures. All the creatures on there. Really cool. And there's stickers and stuff too. There's kids stuff. So I know there's um, oh, yeah. some listeners that have some young ones that listen with them too. And the onesie? Yeah, there's like, so there's a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. So you can actually uh, find the link for that right on our website, intotheportal.com, or I think you can just yeah. search us up on there too. Well, you can go to our website. We do have like a shop, so you can just see some of the designs and, and then you can go straight to the website where there's even more. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's so funny. Eh? You just get so busy about like doing your stuff and then yeah. you... Oh man, just months kinda, go by and we're like, whoa, we're still in public. Right? It's oh. crazy. And hey, if you guys have any ideas for merch that you would like want, oh, like yeah. a, like maybe you want a certain cryptid creature we've covered or something maybe on we'll a, do, like, mug a, giveaway, or something. Like a mug or something for yeah. our, uh, we'll have to figure that out though. But if anyone's pumped on that and wants something in particular, like yeah, yeah, let us out. know and we'll uh, we'll make it happen. Oh yeah. So what else do we have on the uh, the housekeeping list here? Well, I was pretty excited actually because last week I went to the post office. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mailed out to all of our patrons thank you so much to thank all of you, you guys yes yes so they got some fun little thank you notes from us some uh some swag some stickers that type of thing yeah and i'm wondering because i got one that's going to australia so i wonder how long Ooh. that'll actually take yeah well <laughs> but we go all over mail, but, doesn't matter uh, where you are in the world yeah exactly yeah so yeah, no, go check us out on Patreon. Like we're so appreciative for the people who have uh, done so already, but we've got a lot of sweet stuff up there. Like, well, our new mini sode. Yeah, well, we just released the new mini sode. We've got two up there now, and uh, they're super fun. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, like I don't know, like it's just we've we put a lot of work into it, and it's. Uh, well, we want to do even more with it. Out. We've got a lot of stuff that we haven't even developed really, like the crossfire that yes, type of thing. If we can uh, get some patrons at that level and well, stuff. exactly. But yeah. even for a dollar a month, like you get a sticker and a and a handwritten note from us and shout outs on the show and everything mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, go check it out. Speaking we do of have shout outs. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We've got some to do. <laughs> Should I go with this first one here? I love this one. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> so we had a Facebook review and uh, it made us both uh, chuckle and smile. It was really nice. It was awesome. So this was from Matthew Plum and he just joined our Facebook group, which is mm-hmm. sweet. So it reads, uh, holy cannoli. <laughs> I love myself an interesting podcast that delves into not just paranormal mystery, but all sorts of mystery, like history mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I love your mythology episodes, and I love your UFO episodes. Sweet. Cool. Uh, you present them in such an intriguing and in-depth fashion. You two Aww. have great chemistry, and your voices sound lovely. Looking forward to whatever you are putting out next, be it aliens, pre-Columbian contact theories, cryptid, crypt, crypt cryptic cryptid critter conspiracies (laughs) (laughs) or something else entirely keep up the good work portal pals thank you so much matthew we really appreciate that man we appreciate that yeah and okay i i love this one we've been in contact with this guy for i don't even know a couple months now i'd say or it feels like it honestly it feels like we've known it for years (laughs) (laughs) a little bit but he's an awesome dude his name's wes and he's actually the inspiration behind this episode he writes, um, I love this podcast. Feel like I'm part of the conversation. And Wes, you really are part of the conversation. You are. And we love it. So thank you for putting that review up and the recommendation. Yeah. And keep them coming, guys. We love this. It really, it feeds our souls. It does. And it's our, seriously. Our meager souls. Totally. And like the, <laughs> our meager souls. <laughs> and like, yeah. And, and Facebook, wherever you can, like that's awesome. And if, but if you do use iTunes and Apple podcasts, 
please leave us a review on there. That's it's, very true. It boosts up our ratings and gets us a little bit, uh, you know, up on the uh, climb of the rankings so we have more exposure the new for the noteworthy. show. I've heard that you can be running a podcast for like six years and then get on the new Noteworthy. Hey, so, I don't know. I mean, we're patient people, but... <laughs> we're not very patient. <laughs> no, I'm, but, I'm the opposite of that, really. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, we know that a lot of them don't actually show up either, which is kind of annoying, but if... Even if you did leave a review, like, snap a little screenshot and send yeah, it to yeah, us, yeah. like, so that we just... Totally. Because, yeah, we wouldn't want to lose them into the ether. Like, I know we have already, so... Yeah. <sighs> it's so annoying. That's okay. All right, are we ready to jump into this? Oh, we ready! So, we are jumping into the world of big cats. To be specific, the ABCs, or alien big cats, as they're referred to. Interesting. And that term actually crosses over from there's there's British ABCs and Australian ABCs that are much more prominent. And there's North American ABCs. Of course. Mm -hmm. But we are diving into some very strange Australian big cat stories and sightings and natural legends Mm -hmm. yes so let's just so we'll just kind of give the the broad strokes of it to get started here so but like literally for hundreds of years i mean we could go back thousands and look at the indigenous peoples and we will at Mm -hmm. some point throughout this episode but for hundreds of years there have been reports of big cats and when i talk big cats i'm talking leopards pumas cougars those types of big Mm -hmm. cats right Roaming in the forests of and outbacks of Australia. They've attacked livestock and even people over the last few hundred years. And there have been literally thousands of sightings and evidence to go along with those sightings. Now, more so in recent years than in the past, but lots of different evidence. Lots of photographic evidence. So, very, very strange. The, essentially the... I mean, there's a few different theories, obviously, and like we'll get into our actual theories ourselves at the end. Mm-hmm. But did you want to kind of like just go through? I mean, because there's some, there's some explanations of like that. Uh, I don't even know. I'm losing my words here. But like, well, there's a lot of different explanations, a lot of origins to these mythologies and potential explanations for these big cat sightings. Some of them, yeah, like you said, Andrew, they go back centuries, right? This could have been from sailors back in like the transatlantic trade era where they're, you know, like they're on these boats for months at a time. They're going to exotic places. They pick up inevitably things along the way. Maybe a few of those things they decided to leave on the Australia continent. <laughs> right. Like weren't the Dutch the first to discover Australia? Uh, I believe so. Don't quote me on that because uh, it's been a while since right. I looked at that. History. But it was definitely well before like the, the British obviously ended up. And then uh, the British kind of adopted as a penal colony, that right. type of thing. And obviously, like, there were stopovers on the way to other trading posts. So there's a lot of potential crossover here. Because you will notice, uh, and we will have a link to this on our show notes, um, a a resource to this this organization. And I can't remember the name of it. (laughs) It's on my head right now. I know it's in the notes It's not just the Australian Big Cats Research Organization? Oh, actually, yeah. I believe it is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But they, exactly that. So they have this website. And... Actually, no, I don't think that is that one, to be honest. Okay, there's a whole bunch that we've come up with. It's a guy named Vaughn King, and he basically headed this, and he has an interactive map of sightings. So you can literally look at Australia on the map, and it has all the pinpoints and everything. And you will notice that there is a wide concentration in uh, southeast Australia, so in New South Wales area, and then all along up to Perth on the western side, and then up into the north on the Queensland. But they are all coastal. Yes, And maybe that has something to do with 
food sources. Maybe it has something to do with their original placement as far as if they were deposited by sailors and other ships along the way. So that is one idea. Another idea goes a little bit more modern. Okay. So that would be 20th century World War II. Right. And there has been reports of basically U.S. troops that were stationed there during the war and they had... During, sorry, I said that really weird. <laughs> during, <laughs> and, uh, anyways, they had a lot of mascots, things like big cats, pumas, panthers, jaguars, all that kind of stuff. And supposedly, at one point, the Australian quarantine officials cracked down on them and said, um, "You need to basically destroy these animals." So what did they do? Legend has it they released them instead of killing them. So you get this. Uh, a growth of a wildcat population could be crossbred. There are multiple theories as to what these cats could possibly be. But again, there's another even more ancient one, hey? Yeah, the marsupial cat. Mm -hmm. So that is one that uh, definitely goes back a long, long time into the Pleistocene era, which we're familiar with when we're talking about Australia, because that came up in the Bunyip episode when Mm. we were looking at the Diprotodon or the potential sort of yeah, the potential creature that could match up with the bunyip, which is essentially like a giant... Sloth. Yeah, basically. A giant clawed sloth. Right. So people from Queensland will no doubt have heard of this cryptid creature known as the Queensland tiger. So essentially, it is a regional cryptid reported to live, obviously, in the Queensland area of eastern Australia. And it is one of sort of many versions of big cat mythology from the region. But it's not technically really like a cat it's more and it's not black and it's not black because that's the that's the difference there's there's sightings of these black cats and there's sightings of something different which is what this kind of falls into right but of course people in the queensland area will see these big cat sightings and some of them do attribute it to this sort of yeah this this creature that's been in sort of the mythos for a while now known as the queensland tiger so but basically it's like yeah it's it's this hybrid sort of a creature it's People believe it to be the descendant of the an ancient marsupial known as the Thylacolio, which was basically <laughs> good pronunciation, by the way. I, I mean, I hope that's. I was right. like, I'm not taking this section. Thylacolio. <laughs> I, I hope that's the correct pronunciation. Oh, we should go to Google and just like hit the thing. Where Do it's, like, like the, the translate. That I've done that before in the past, but then it's like. Sometimes, Sometimes that's, even that's not correct. No. Remember in Spanish in oh, uh, university Lord. when we'd be like be scrambling for <laughs> translating on stuff and then we'd be like, this is not right. <laughs> Remember those times we had to make like the videos and we had to like memorize our script and then we'd be like, oh, I don't God. even know how to say that. Because <laughs> we'd be coming God. up with, because it had to be a script that was relevant to our lives, right? So we'd have all these extra vocabulary that we're not used to. But anyways, that's a total side note. <laughs> yeah, side note. <laughs> Just to really screw you up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. The Queensland tiger. Yeah, so... Okay, it, so you're saying marsupial cat, so obviously this thing has a freaking pouch Yeah, so that's what's hand. really cool. So essentially it's a marsupial lion. It, it had oh. a pouch on its back, one of its back legs, so like right on its kind of haunch, where its pups would... Uh, so would, on the one side? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Isn't that strange? That so like different like than a kangaroo. Balance. You'd think, I mean, yeah, it's kind of odd, but it's kind of, it's very interesting, obviously, because we don't have these marsupial, like, predators like this anymore today, Mm -hmm. and essentially, these things were big, like, they weighed as much as 120 kilograms, about one and a half meters in length, and yeah, they were definitely feared and revered as well by the local population, so they are actually... (laughs) Feared and revered. Feared and revered, because they were, like, they were known as the Yari uh, to the indigenous peoples of Eastern Australia. Hmm. And some described it as being, this is where it gets confusing, because no doubt people have also heard of the Tasmanian tiger. 
different creature. So some people describe the Queensland tiger as being small, like a lynx-sized feline. But in reality, if it's a descendant of the thylacoleo, it would have been much, much bigger. Um, whereas the thylacine, which is another Australian cryptid, which is a striped marsupial as well, but it was much smaller, much more dog-like. Oh, so is that the... Uh, the... <laughs> Not the, not the non-Queensland tiger, because I'm yeah. so confused. I know, I know. It, it did get a little bit confusing. It was the... so, so it's called the thylacine, right? Oh, so, okay. so essentially, that's the, te- that's the Tasmanian tiger. So it's tiger. not the coelacanth. <laughs> yeah, I threw... <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah, really no, it was so funny. Like, us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I threw that in there because it was, I, I was like, oh, we should talk about that because it's uh, the, or the coelacanth, like the, you know, the fish, the fish. that's uh, survived mm-hmm. for you know, millions of years and everybody thought it was extinct and yada, yada, yada. Because this is the argument that possibly, maybe, somehow, there is still sort of a descendant of this thylacoleo, a.k.a. the Queensland tiger, that has managed to survive into modern times. So they were technically extinct 40,000 years ago, at the latest, the end of the The Tasmanian or the Queensland? The Queensland tiger. So about the same kind of era as the Diprotodon, things like that. And... People didn't even really know what it was until 1859 when one, uh, a archaeologist actually discovered it and ended up naming it thylacoleo, which means marsupial lion. It also was nicknamed the giant flesh-eating pouched lion, so a bit of an ominous name for sure, which would definitely match up with the reports of sheep and livestock being slaughtered in the Queensland mm. area yeah. having to do with these big cat sightings. One of the um, really interesting things about this thing, though, is that it was more like a kangaroo, and it had a really strong tail. So it actually would use this tail uh, to stand up on its hind legs to be, like, taller. Oh. And, and apparently would, yeah. It interesting. Would, so exactly it, it stood bigger. really, really tall. Like a roo. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. That's interesting. Okay, so that's, like, the most ancient sort of origins theory yeah. as to what that could be. So marsupial cat, a few different versions of that, but all kind of boiling down the same sort of idea. More or less. And like there's rock uh there's rock art all over Queensland that dates back even, you know, like definitely, you know, 20,000 years kind of thing. Okay. And the people of Australia, like there's still argument. We talked about this for the people with no fire episode too, but there's debate as how long they've actually been there. It is at least 60,000 years. Mm. So the indigenous peoples were living amongst these giant cats that were there. It's just a question of, could there be some sort of an offshoot nowadays? Yeah, exactly. Some sort of hybrid or another yeah variation that's come out over time. Yes. That kind of makes sense. So, like, on the flip side, um, we do have other sort of ideas that are a bit more modern. There is one that comes from Vaughn King, who is exactly, he's an animal expert expert animal handler sorry yeah <laughs> talk and yeah you're right sorry andrew he is the founder of australian big cats research organization okay. that does have that website so cool. i think it's just called like bigcatpeople.com or something, something. Like that. but yeah, we'll have yeah. it in the notes and have it all laid out for you guys if Definitely. anyone wants to go take a look but essentially he's he's of the mind that this is probably an Asiatic um, subspecies of jaguars, pumas, or some sort of mountain lion, a variation of all three of those. He, he believes that there could be multiple species living on the Australian continent. Okay. And he has talked to several people. Like, he's, he's kind of an expert. He actually worked for Australia Zoo, which was founded by Steve Irwin. He worked there for a number of years. He worked with um, a family of tigers, basically raised them from cubs and got to experience that firsthand, which he goes into is very rewarding. But like I said, he is of this mind that 
it's probably a multitude of pumas, jaguars, and mountain lions. See, that's crazy. He doesn't call them panthers because panther is actually a misnomer. There isn't actually a species called that. It it comes from, yeah, the idea that of jaguars and pumas. But because there's, there's black jaguars, too. And there's right. black... Oh, there's even black... Uh, Oh, is there black pumas? Now. There's no, there's not black pumas. Okay. There's black jaguars and there's black. It's not a cheetah. Oh, it's totally escaping me now. But anyways, doesn't matter. You know, black I'm stuff. Trying, yeah, I'm trying black, to think. Black cats. Of, well, no, it is. It is an inter- <laughs> It is an important. <laughs> no, that's just it. That is it's an like important distinction a, to make because lynxes and cougars and those types of North American big cats, they do not. They their fur does not go black. But let's just make a little disclaimer here. All of these have been seen. Fawn-like big cats, black bat, black cats. Yes. Black bat, big cats. Sorry, I can't talk. Okay. And then also the ones, like you said, that are more like a Tasmanian tiger that have like a stripe and almost like a right. more kangaroo-like back end. Yes. And then a more dog-like front end, but with a feline head. Right. Uh, okay. So this guy, Vaughn King, he he's talked to former circus owners and they have admitted to him openly that there were instances over the years where they actually had escapes of multiple big cats, such really? as jaguars and stuff. And they don't often report these because they're kind of afraid. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to well, get fined, man. Like they're they've got their own well-being to look out for. But and that's kind of scary, been more, right? A little bit more modern, it is, too. Yeah, right? this is nineteenth, twentieth century. Right. Mm-hmm. See, that's interesting because it's like if that was the case then, then certainly in the eighteen hundreds when there was definitely traveling circuses, traveling just yep. shows and things Way like that, less, right? Um, like, I mean, there's like no like such thing as regulation back right? then. Yeah, of course not. Exactly. There's not quarantine officials. There's not people stepping in to be like, oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah. yeah. So no. I'm going to go ahead and say, well before the theories section here, that that from the 1800s through into probably quite frankly up until the 1960s mm-hmm. there could have been not only animals in like circuses and things like that being released but private animals being released just like the world war ii cats the mascots that you exactly. mentioned at the beginning Even, which is like i'm imagining too like because we hear this time and time again like on uh like, you know, like with um, animal welfare organizations, things like that, the idea that these big cats are purchased by private owners and they're raised in captivity. And then at a certain point, they sort of realize that they can't control these things right. and they just and simply they just, release. Yeah. It's the same thing with reptiles, right? You get a uh, anaconda or something and it grows up to be like, you know, like over seven, nine feet. Yeah, like, you'd have hey, to have to certain... handle this anymore. Yeah. So off to the sewer with you. <laughs> yeah, no, really, though, because it's <laughs> like, like unless you have a full zoo, then and it's like... It's, it's actually very believable, though, that it, it could be a combination of these. Um, Vaughn himself, sorry, King, his first name is Vaughn. It's kind of a weird spelling, though. It's like Vog, Vognan. I, I can never use that. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> I don't like the name Vaughn, but we'll get over that. <laughs> so King believes that, um, yeah, like I said, like it could be a result of a mix of subspecies of the jaguar, puma, and mountain lion families. And he does point to the adaptability of these animals and their pervasive presence around the world mm-hmm. in a variety of environments. So this goes from like the savanna. So, like, plains that are really hot to the Canadian Rockies, you find these animals. Well, they're super adaptable. Exactly. And this is from Vaughn. It's a quote. He says, The key factor about all of these species is that they are three of the most adaptable and elusive big cats on the planet. Uh, And then he says, just to continue on, The mountain lion, for instance, was known by many hunters as the spirit cat due to its elusiveness and seeming invincibility. Seriously, though, because like, cool, though. well, we live, I mean, we're, we live in BC and we're not, 
right, right where our home is, isn't crazy mountainous or whatever. We spend a lot of time in the Kootenays and things like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. how many, I mean, have you ever seen a cougar in the wild? Mm. I mean, I haven't. Uh, no. Like they're rare, right? Like yeah. you don't see these things. And like we've, I've maybe seen a lynx once from very far, but I don't know if it actually right. was. Yeah. No, the only thing I've ever seen, like we had a bear problem at the old house I had. Sure. And we we've seen black caught, bears and stuff. Oh my God. It was so cute. It was a cub. They caught him, and he was like, he wasn't like a cub cub, but he was like a mounds, an adolescent. Mounds and garbage. And he was, no, he wasn't mound garbage, he was fine, but uh, he was mountain cherry, so he lived next to a cherry orchard. Smart. <laughs> he was so cute. I remember seeing him in the cage, and yeah, they had to cart him off quite a ways. But, well, you know. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> but that's just it, though. It's like when these big animals start to sort of get noticed by humans, which is the case in Australia, people begin to think of it as a problem. Right. And really, maybe we are the problem. Because <laughs> well, we're the I one mean, that caused that potentially, right? Because uh, big cats are not native to Australia. No. And it's, like you said, like 98% of the species on that continent are endemic to it. So you don't find them in others. So it's a very no. isolated area. Right. So for these big cats to travel, it has to be human. Totally. Human means. But it is. And if, if that is the case, though, think about how impressive that is. I mean, they're obviously very adaptable, very like, you know, sneaky, powerful mm-hmm. creatures and all that kind of stuff. But to go into a place where the you're going into an environment and ecosystems that are so unique yeah. that if unless you can, <laughs> unless you match up well, like you ain't going to last long. You know what I mean? No. But that's what's interesting about this. And like, I don't know, we've got some kind of just general stats here on these cats because okay, wait. this is what people okay, have wait, seen. Wait, wait, wait. And it's wait, Stats on big cats. I need to emphasize that. All right, all right. <laughs> and then, you know, when I go this back to like edit this, there's gonna episode. be there's gonna be a big row. <laughs> <laughs> you better put that in. Oh, I have to now. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, stats on big cats. <laughs> so, what do you think, Andrew? Well, I mean they can What's jump the most- fifteen feet plus. That is crazy. And people have witnessed this. That's insane. Okay, wait. How, how, how okay, tall so picture, can the biggest NBA player? How? What's their vertical? Oh well, what's the not, most obviously not that high. I mean, this is like their their feet, <laughs> like their feet go from the ground to fifteen feet. Okay, there's probably a few NBA players that might be able to grab on to a fifteen foot something up fifteen feet, but not their feet. But no, obviously not. What about unless like, you're on the moon? What about the world record? For high jump. I wonder what that is. Pfft, not even close. You think? Not even like remotely mean, close. Two meters? Yeah. Not, I, not even. Yeah. I'm trying to picture in my head because, like, we have our own cat, George, right? And he will jump from the floor to the windowsill. So, Which like, I'm just trying impressive. to get, like, the ratio, right? Because their hind legs are so tall. Right. It's pretty impressive. I mean, it regardless. Really is. Okay, wait. So they're about 1.5 meters tall and they're about less than a meter high, right? On average. No, so 1.5, no, so they're no, Oh, wait, they're that, was the ceil- that, was the, that, that was the That was the length. Okay. Yeah, no. So, like, height is, like, three feet, three to three and a half feet standing, right? Because they're quite slender and low. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of moving like that, like, moving forward one paw at a time or whatever. They're, they're not, they don't look like big creatures until they're kind of upon you, right? Right. Or if you see them from the side. And that's what's interesting with a lot of these sightings and things like that. It's like, we've had ones where people see it jump into a tree 15 feet. It doesn't look very big, but then when it extends out, right? Mm-hmm. And you got that full extended cat body. And anybody here who owns cats will know that. They go from this tiny little curled up ball and they spread 
spread out on the couch, and next thing you know, you're like, yeah. I didn't even realize my cat was so big. The cat's like a meter long. Yeah. But essentially, they are aggressive apex predators that do not fear humans, and they're usually yeah. nocturnal, and a lot of these sightings happen at night. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. in the dusk, too. Dusk. Some of them have happened during the day, though, and Some there are quite a few been... photos during the day as well. Yeah. And that's kind of the debate, right, whether or not these are actual panther-like creatures or if they're just big feral cats. And feral cats are quite pervasive, and we're getting into some actual sightings and some comparative notes from people that have actually witnessed these cats, which is quite illuminating. One other thing I would like to add, though, is that, like you said, they are usually nocturnal, obviously very aggressive, and they'll use their feces to mark their territory. They're not like your average house, house cat or like a smaller cat that will bury its feces as a protective measure. They, it's extra pungent is how it's described. And it is, yeah, it's meant to alert other big cats that, hey, this is Matt's back. Yes. And you better stay away. And, yeah, another thing, too, is the fact that they do have these small litters, and it's less periodic, like the births, right? So usually one to two cubs. Usually maybe one will make it, usually none. Like, it's really tough. It just depends on the circumstances. And obviously, if you're thinking, like, they're struggling to survive in small numbers in the Australian outback, then I would think that it's low birth rate, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the hotspot areas for encounters. Sure. I mean, so that, like we said at the beginning, like this has been all over. Some of the most notable areas, though, are the Grampian Mountains. So this mm-hmm. is uh, in New South Wales. And that's where we first kind of came across this myth, right? Yeah. The Grampian Puma. The Grampian Puma. Puma. Mm-hmm. There's also the Blue Mountain Puma. Uh, the Ooh, Queen- the Gippsland Phantom Cat. Yep. The Gippsland yep. Phantom Cat. The Queensland Tiger is right. obviously another one. And various other big cat sightings everywhere from, you know, you know, forested areas just outside Sydney, like in the capital in mm-hmm. the west. All South over. of Melbourne. Uh, there's this one peninsula that we have a sighting from that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I would say New South Wales is like the epicenter. Though. That definitely seems to be the most prominent place. I mean, Queensland, but New South Wales is the... Uh, the Victoria I, area in New South Wales, for sure. Yeah. I had this quote from the Herald. This is in 2017. They were reporting that there was numerous sightings occurring in this Hunter area, which is in New South Wales. Okay. And this is just... Okay. I'm just going to try. You're going to pronounce quote. some they of said, this stuff? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> okay. So these sightings were occurring in places including Minmi, Walsend, Manmura, uh, Freeman's Waterhole, Waterhole, sorry, Morissette, Curry, curry. <laughs> I love that was my favorite. Curry, curry. Curry, curry with a with a K and an I, not a Y. Cessnock, Singleton, and the Watagan Mountains. Cool. <laughs> this is, I, this I, is honestly, some names, man. The more I look at the Australian map, the more I just want to go visit these hilarious. Name I know places. they're so like in, I, they sound so interesting. <laughs> they do. Like, curry, curry. What, what 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 is curry curry like? I want to hear from us. I know. Tell, yeah. If anybody be listening, like, Shh, curry curry. <laughs> Well, anyone who's listening has been to some of these small places or who has, you know, knows anybody who has a story about anything in these places, let us know, obviously, right? Yeah, we'd love to hear it. I think we should probably uh, get into a couple of sightings. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. I'll take the first one. Sure. So this actually occurred um, quite a number of decades ago. It was in October of 1956. In Emmaville, New South Wales. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the contributor writes. These are all anonymous. Yeah, we have a couple. Like, there's there there's literally hundreds. Like, we pulled out some. Yeah. So this is all from ones. the Big Cats website from cool. Vaughn and King. Okay. 
Well, not all these, but the first four. Anyways, so it says here, One night, October 1956, I accompanied my dad, who was going spotlight shooting on Willis's property off the Amaville Road. We were out spotting foxes to destroy as per farmer's request. About 150 meters away, in the beam of the spotlight, this large cat-like animal appeared. My dad got off a shot, which missed, and the animal took off in a creek depression. We drove across the paddock to where we saw it, but to no avail. My dad reported the sighting to the farmer, who commented he had sighted it some years earlier. No photos, but later it was ID'd as a panther. Interesting. So it was known in the area. The farmer was aware of it. That's actually interesting to me, the idea that uh, you're a spotlight shooter, so you're employed by farmers to go out and just shoot foxes. Yeah. Because I've heard they're quite aggressive, right? Like, they'll even attack cattle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they're intense. Like, they're small, but they, they do what they got to do. Yeah. This next one came from a little bit later. I love how we, we found some that, I mean, it's obviously always laid out in order, but yeah, 1956. That's kind of an interesting place to right? start. Yeah. 1998. This was in Apollo Bay, Victoria. And again, this is uh, an anonymous sighting. So driving along Great Ocean Road just after sunset, the sighting was after uh, Marengo. Sorry. Marengo. Setting just after Marengo. I'm just after Marengo. It's got to be a town. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just after the heavily forested area on the way to Horden Vale. Man, these are strange names. Yeah, it must be. So, I was in the front front passenger seat looking out the window of the car in front of us uh, when I noticed something disturbing crouching off the side of the road. It was obviously a large animal. So the animal stood up and in one smooth motion, it turned and leapt up the embankment and disappeared into the bush. So I saw it crouching to standing to leaping. After I alerted my husband, he turned and caught sight of the animal leaping up the embankment as well. Neither of us have ever questioned what we saw to this day. Essentially, it was a beautiful, big black cat. And we knew it at the time and both still remember the day well. So obviously the the height that the animal that they saw jump up at the embankment wouldn't have matched up with a kangaroo mm. or a dog, no. like a wild dog or anything I, like that. Yeah, and honestly, like, the thing that I found the most interesting about this account was the fact that she includes that she grew up on a farm that had a pig farm directly behind them, and she says here, I have seen some bloody big feral cats in my life, <laughs> but the big cat we saw was bigger in both height and length. <laughs> nice accent. <laughs> and it was also magnificent go. to look at. <laughs> I have such a bad accent. I'm sorry, guys. I, just, <laughs> I get so inspired, though, when I read this. I'm like, oh, you get it's from. And she says here that feral cats look feral and ugly. So they're struggling. They look, you know, a little decrepit. Right. They're not They're not graceful. They're not beautiful. No. And so I guess we should make that point right now. I mean, we should, maybe we should have said that at the beginning. But essentially, the, the solution or the explanation that it comes from basically all local governments on this issue is that it's feral cats. And there is a legitimate feral cat problem in a whole bunch of areas of New South Wales and Queensland and other places where essentially, yeah, like... They can get quite big. They can get quite big. Like, you know, the size of a small dog kind of thing or whatever. But you're not going to see it and misidentify it as a giant predatory cat. Yeah, it wouldn't be something that, like, you're going to, like, pause and take time out of your day and be like, whoa, okay... I just saw that. Like, yeah. That wouldn't be extraordinary to you. No. And just a side note here, um, definition of veil <laughs> is actually a valley <laughs> used in place names as a poetic term. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So fruit veil, um, horn veil. There you go. Oh. 
Anyways, I just, I, yeah, for my own curiosity. No, there you go. There you go. Horden Vale. Horden Vale. Yeah. Nice Horden Valley. Not Whore Valley, Horden. <laughs> Not um, we. Yes. <laughs> all right. So this next one is a, is very recent, actually. This is 2011. Happened at about 6.45 a.m. This is West Australia near Narakoop. Narakoop. Anyways, he writes here. I was on my way to work one morning about seven years ago, and my morning drive involved going over the Porongaroop Range, and then along numerous gravel roads surrounded by farming land and tree tree plantations. It was about 6.45 a.m., and visibility was slightly impaired by a soft rain when I spotted a black figure in the middle of the road. I immediately thought it was a black Labrador and someone had let their dog run loose in the road. As I got closer, I wound my window down and yelled out, get home. And that's when I realized it wasn't a dog. It was what I believed to be a black panther. I nearly ran off the road when I saw it out my window. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) That's insane. The funny thing is it didn't even really care that I was there or that I had yelled out. It just continued to strut across the road and through the fence and out across the paddock. After, sorry, another morning not far from this encounter, I saw one in full flight run across the road in front of me. The tail was nearly as long as its body. I got goosebumps both times. I've seen kangaroos go from dead carcass to overnight lit clean. I believe a lot of the farmers are too embarrassed to admit anything. And I also think that everyone is looking, (laughs) everyone is looking on the ground for something that takes refuge in trees. You need thermal imaging to check the trees to find what you're looking for. He writes. Interesting. That's actually very interesting. And that does make a lot of sense, right? Like farmers, um, the idea that they might be too embarrassed to admit anything. Yeah. No, for sure. We definitely it, came across that in a couple of the little kind of docs and videos and things we've watched. Yeah. Yeah. People, people are hesitant, right? And that's why some of these are anonymous sightings and, and people, mm-hmm. that's why the reports come in such waves. Right? I didn't really look for names though, to be honest. Like, you know, these are just people that take the time to volunteer and write in. There's hundreds. There's no, there's hundreds too. And it just doesn't make any sense to me to think that people would be like, you know, purposefully submitting something that isn't truthful. No. Why would they bother? Like, you know what I mean? Totally. As seven years ago, right? You're not going to wait seven years and then you come across this website. You're like, oh, I'm just going to make something up and submit it. Like that doesn't, you've got to be pretty messed up. No. And it isn't just, it isn't just from farmers and stuff either. It's from all kinds of different people, like yeah. you know, doctors and lawyers and all kinds of different people. And yeah. And the idea that they're too embarrassed too, like, again, I almost go back to like UFOs, right? Where it's like people in those like rural towns and situations, like a lot of them are farmers, things like that. Yeah. Not that they have to be or anything, but the idea that you are going to report something that is unusual, that people, that you might get ridiculed for, a lot of farmers are a little bit too, like, no-nonsense, maybe, to, like, even even entertain the notion, much mm-hmm. less, like, you know, there, there is the type that would be, like, the old wives' tale, you know, they're, they're pulling their yarn, they're doing whatever, but first, yeah, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like that to me. No. And the fact that they do they're probably feeling a little bit uh, vulnerable, right? Because these big cats are something that they don't have a lot of defenses for. Like, sure, they can set traps, but I don't know if we... We never came across any cases of people setting traps for these things, right? No, no one ever actually said that they were going to go out and put no. bear traps down or and anything And that's the like thing, that. too, is, like, even if they... Like, a lot of experts that are researchers in this field don't espouse that they don't want they want more education right for people they don't really want people going out with uh you know 
pitchforks and and fire and going out in the woods and killing these things like that's not it i don't even think that that's really the vibe of people like they're obviously scared like the people that do believe that this is a real thing that that these that these big cats are real they're scared and stuff and they're concerned but they're not yeah it isn't quite like that like Mm -hmm. where it would be yeah fire and brimstone pitchforks or anything like that i think it's it's more like anger anger with well no (laughs) i think it's more anger with the government and that's something we'll touch on in a minute yeah but we have a few more sightings, obviously, that we wanted to talk oh. about. This one was from 2017 uh, in Queensland, so Landsboro, Queensland. Hmm. 8.30 p.m. A large black cat that looked exactly like a black panther suddenly ran in front of my car from the right side to the left of the road prior to the Ewanmatic Dam around 8.30 p.m. at night. So again, nocturnal. Since it was totally dark in this region, the car's headlights clearly illuminated a large black cat. My wife was the passenger in the car and clearly saw what I'm describing, what I was describing. We were coming home from dinner uh, on our wedding anniversary, so the date and time are definitely correct. Uh, what else did they say here? We thought that this was a rare escaped exotic animal, possibly from the Australia Zoo. Mm. Only when I read about a sighting in, a, uh, in the Courier Mail today... Did I think that what they saw was essentially one of the large cats living in the Australian outback? Mm-hmm. So there you go, connecting the dots. So these aren't people that are seeing it and immediately like you know they're, they're like they know the legends or they know the whatevers and they're just like oh yeah like a black cat like let's report that and we're on now we're part of that party you know what I mean yeah. like yeah they're trying to make sense of these things that they're seeing right exactly it almost has a Sasquatch kind of an element to it. Right, because so many people. I mean, it's not this. I mean, this is way more frequent than Sasquatch sightings, but it, it's it's uh, they're so similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the frequency of people seeing it and different things like that. And they're just normal everyday people, right? A lot of them. There's two of them too. So yeah, multiples. That we do have a couple bit. more, and these do have names to go with them. Okay, I like this one. I came up with this one. It was from my, I believe it was from a Herald Times article. I could be wrong though. And this actually happened um, in 2015, and it was near Glen Isla. I, I think I'm spe- or saying that wrong. Glen Isla? I don't even know. It's basically a, a tiny little peninsula that's in the very south, like just underneath Melbourne. Okay. So it's like, yeah, coastal peninsula. It is attached to the main continent, but uh, again, yeah. So this guy, he's a Dimboola resident, John Fury. John Fury. F-E-E-R-Y. Okay. He spotted what he described as a puma near this Glen Isla. Okay. So this is how his story goes. He says, quote, I stopped on the highway at 10.30 a.m. in a cleared area just before Glen Isla. Or Glen Isla, I don't know. There were probably two or three trees on the right-hand side of the road, and I stopped near the first tree. I spent 15 minutes walking around taking photos of the Grampians because it's quite a scenic area. Yeah. You know, it's a national park. Yeah, national park. park. And so he says here, then I got back in the car, turned on the radio, and plugged the phone into the charger. I started driving, and just before I got to the second tree, this animal came out from behind the tree and ran straight across the road into the scrub on the other side. It was not hopping or jumping. It was definitely running. Says here, Mr. Fury said he slowed down and looked into the bush where the animal had disappeared. It was thick, low scrub, so I couldn't see anything. Ever since then, I've been wondering why I didn't stop and get out. I had my camera. I could have gone searching for it. It's been annoying me ever since. (laughs) Oh, sorry. This is from the Wimmera Mail Times. Okay. And he says here, he's never seen anything like it. 
he sounds like uh, he's got some uh, seasons on him, hey? Yeah, I think so. Mr. Feeny. I honestly thought of Mr. Feeny right away Mr. from Feeny. Boy Meets World. It's <laughs> like, Mr. Feeny! And then I totally saw that I misread that. I was like, that's Feeny. <laughs> Dang. Oh, well. It's just good. But I thought that was interesting. He yeah. actually doesn't really go into much of the description, though. Like, he just says that it was... It it's was just a sort thing. of a fleeting thing across the street, right? And so that to me could maybe be a feral cat. Could be a feral cat. Could be maybe a large but dog. But I, I don't want to discount him because just because the article didn't choose to include his exact description. Because he doesn't say the color. He doesn't say the approximate size or any other features. But he says it was a large thing that wasn't hopping or jumping. Definitely yeah. running. Yeah. We're sort of jumping around a little bit here, but then I've, we had this one from 2005 and there was a photo to go with it. Oh, and I actually yeah. can't recall if this was one of the photos. There's, there's been a few um, that is. have been proven uh, to be hoaxes. I don't, I don't think this, is this one of them, wasn't the one. Because this is from a pretty notable researcher in the field. Right. Yeah. So this was 2005. Um, the I'm pretty sure New South Wales as well. But it was a it was a pretty gruesome photo. So it was like a discovery made by a man by a man named Kurt Angle, which mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure is the name of a uh, wrestler. I'm pretty sure. I was gonna we say should... that reminds me of Chris Angel. <laughs> yeah, Kurt Angle. I Kurt swear Angle. that that's the name of like a WWE yeah wrestler but or something. This guy's just like a local hunter. <laughs> should, yeah, so no, a local Australian hunter. So he, yeah, he, no one's really exactly sure of the story of how he came across it. But essentially, he shot and killed a puma or a leopard or something well, a yeah, it black, was black hat mm-hmm. and it was massive it was it was the full length of his body and then some and essentially the photo uh, shows the animal strung up by its hind legs in a rural setting out in the bush mm. the tail measured 26 inches and they did take it to um a doctor i believe and it came back <laughs> like they they did like mitochondrial dna analysis of it and it supposedly came back as a Oh, what's the exact phrasing? I don't have it in front of me, but it was basically a domestic feral cat. Hmm. Yeah. So that's in a that big, regard, that's a big domestic feral cat. Yeah. So that's is. like that's yeah. I mean, it's always tough to tell in sort of grainy photos and stuff, but it definitely looked much larger than what a feral cat would be. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that was my take on it for sure. I just, I it was kind of interesting because these people that included it on their website, it was two researchers that are quite prominent in the field. They've written a cat called the un, or, <laughs> an account. They've written an account. <laughs> an account. A, a cat. Is what he said. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, no, so they wrote a book called The Unnatural History of Panthers. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was quite interesting. But yeah, they, they definitely, they, oof, they hype this one up and they even say you have to buy their book to actually get all of the photos. They right. don't actually release them on their website, but there is one right. on the website that's in our show notes. So if anyone wants to go look. Yeah, you should definitely take a look at it and let us know what you think of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, well, let's, let's, let's take a quick break. We're, we're going to get into some other interesting things in a second here, but. Uh, oh yes, we need to take a promo break for our friends over at Double Density. Yeah, Brian and Angelo are good buddies over in Montreal and uh, they put on an awesome show that's half half tech, half paranormal and just, well, not all just paranormal but they cover just interesting stories and tech. Exactly. Uh, And they actually did this whole like series through the summer. They they wanted to be like 
your summer go-to podcast. So they're like, they shorten the episodes like by like five minutes. <laughs> but no, they're so great though because you get that mix, right? This like, exactly how it says the name, double density. Yeah. So you get a little mammal. It's one of our favorite shows. So uh, take a listen to this promo and make sure you check check those guys out. From Apple products to Zelda games, and from aliens to zombies, we are Double Density. Tech tales and paranormal primers with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. New episodes every Wednesday. DoubleDensity.net back mm-hmm. so make sure to go check out double density so we're hopping into um well a section here we, where we wanted to go through like notable researchers because the kind mm-hmm. of we're at this important stage here where it's like okay who the heck is looking into this well, exactly. because this is obviously a problem you've got sort of people on either sides of the fence that are either but like outright don't believe in it because they've never seen one and then there's a whole bunch of people that are very very adamant that this is a real thing obviously they've experienced yeah. it their livestock's been freaking dragged up trees and slaughtered they think that there's big cats mm-hmm. but of course many people believe who is actually looking into this though well okay so like i said before these australian big cat researchers that uh covered the story we just did before the break right so this is rebecca lang and michael williams so they are the co-authors of australian big cats and unnatural history of panthers cool and yeah they actually were called in to investigate these this 2005 2005 finding you're struggling today i don't even know (laughs) they're just words in english you know what it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. First world problems, man. Yeah, indeed. Anyways, so yeah, they talked to this guy who had caught this big black cat. And then they also brought in another expert called Bernie Mace. And they had him sample a piece of the tail for this mitochondrial DNA, which, like I said, came back F. Caddis, which is kind of an oxymoron. It's a wild domestic cat. Wild domestic. <laughs> Wild domestic. It says here that the test was paid for by the Sunday Herald Sun in Melbourne. Hmm. And, yeah, no, it, it, the tail itself and the photos were examined by Mel- the Melbourne Museum. And one of the biologists did state that the tail was real and not a trick cut. So it wasn't as if someone had taken a tail from something else, like, amputated it on. Right. That type of thing. Right. So, yeah, that was kind of their... They don't really give away too much, though, because they want you to buy the book. <laughs> And I'm sorry, you guys didn't have an ebook, so I couldn't. Anyways. That's the tough thing about doing a weekly show is you we would have to order thing like some of the books we we order months in advance because we know we're going to get to that episode. But uh, yeah, some, you can't always do that. We some rely we just on, kind of pull the trigger on. We're just like you know we're doing this. Yeah, totally. One but, of the other notable researchers though, her name is Chris Coffee. Great name, Chris Coffee. But she's been compiling research on big cats, alien big cats in Australia since the '90s. And to date, well, actually, this wouldn't be to date to 2018. This would have been a little bit earlier, so just a few years ago. But essentially, she's amassed a database that has over 560 entries, everything from sightings to mysterious paw prints to different scats that have been found to just, uh, you know, unexplained damage that could be attributed to big cats. And this is from hundreds of different people who have claimed to have seen something. And 
as Coffee put it in her own words, we're not stupid people. So <laughs> we're not all stupid, people. right? Right? We're not all stu- exactly. I mean, there's gonna you're gonna get the odd crazy. Oh yeah, right. But she makes that point of saying that they're they're police officers. There's police detectives. There's doctors, lawyers, teachers, politicians. Like these are these are everyday normal people who don't have anything that. to gain from making this stuff up. But ha- animal handlers too. So. Who would know what they're seeing? So this kind of puts puts aside the uh, the you know the classic Joe Nickel thing where it's like it's an owl or it's a feral cat. Oh, no, if you're an animal handler, you're gonna know what's a feral cat and what's a puma. You'd think. I would like to hope. You hope. Like next time I'm at the zoo, I'd like to think that the person who's in charge of the giant cats knows what a giant cat is and what a penguin is. Let's just say that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like. It should be pretty obvious distinctions to make. It's not a bowl. It's not a. <laughs> it's not a bowl. The universe is like the human hand. <laughs> okay, if anybody knows what that reference is, we did that little contest last week, and we had a couple of listeners. Uh, they got it. They got Office Space. Yeah. There's, that one's a little more obscure. That is wise here. We always pull that up. So, I don't actually know if Chris Coffee was a member of this organization, but there's been. A number of other research organizations that have been looking into this. One is called the Rare Fauna Research Institute, and it actually ended up just being called, in the end, the Australian Rare Fauna Research Association. So essentially, its purpose has kind of wavered over the years, which I found interesting when I looked into it. It's like it started off kind of researching big cat stuff and at times has sort of been pushed and pulled in different directions that make it seem less legitimate to some. For example, they've Mm. gone into research ghosts, UFOs, other cryptid creatures that are a little bit less believable in Australia, such as the Bunyip and the Yowie. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're definitely kind of like a paranormal research organization. drop bears? I wonder if that's in there. Hey, I don't know if they research drop bears. Definitely have researched thylacines, Ah. so the Tasmanian tiger, and possibly a relative of the Queensland tigers in some sort of a way. Mm, Interesting. And like ghosts, eh? Like that's a... That's a, that's a wide net. Yeah. I feel like that goes with a lot of paranormal sorts of organizations or people that are thinking a little bit outside the uh, the status quo. Yeah. Mm. So essentially, so like Chris Coffey had her own database of 560 entries. The Australian Rare Fauna Research Association has an upwards of 10,000. Let's just call it ARFRA. ARFRA. <laughs> ARFRA. Yeah, that's the, there we go. <laughs> They're not investigating dogs. No. <laughs> Up to 10,000 claims. So up to 10,000 reports. And even if you weed out 90% of those, you still get a a thousand, right? I mean, that's, yeah. Like, so these are mapped reports going, showing exactly where they're coming from and the the time of day and exactly where in the province that the provinces that they're coming from. So it gives experts something to go off of in, Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to prove that these big cats exist. Yeah. Another person. So, okay. So here's another guy. This was kind of interesting. So there was this gentleman named Brian Walters and he was, um, I believe he was from, he was on the, one of a a board of something in Victoria. I've lost that note here. I think I got him confused with someone else, but he was on like the, and like a similar sort of, uh, he worked in a similar capacity to like this rare fauna research institute, except it was more legit, like for the government, like looking into animals, looking into, he was mm-hmm. on like the board of agriculture and things like this. Oh, but oh yeah. Se- no, he wasn't in like the rural yeah, wildlife. Yeah, r- that's right. Yeah. Rural wildlife land and or... agriculture institute or something like that. Yeah. Some, something along those lines. Oh, anyway, look, he comes government up, official. Brian Walters. Jaguars. 
There you go. He was sent a series of mysterious animal scats from multiple different farmers that had showed up on uh, various different properties in the area of Winchester. (laughs) Says here he's the American football wide receiver. (laughs) Okay, that's a different (laughs) Brian Walters. (laughs) It sounds like a pretty generic. This is cool though. He oh oh never mind. Oh, this is so random. Oh my goodness. Sorry. No. Okay. I just Wikipedia'd him, and it says here he signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's the the football player. Guy. Wow, that's that's crazy. That is actually kind of a strange Talk about coincidence. Synchronicities, man. Yeah, the Jaguars. But anyways, I'm so sorry. Though that actually is a hilarious. That's that's ridiculous. Apparently, he played college football at Cornell, and he was elected to the Sphinx Head Society. Sphinx. Oh, so you got Sphinx. So you got Casper. You got Jaguars. The football team. It's a conspiracy. Must be. I think he's the same person. Maybe the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars is is planting real jaguars in Australia just and for fun. And if anyone wants to know, he weighs 86 kilograms. <laughs> okay, I'm moving on here. Um, so, <laughs> Amber's been like this all day today. I'm sorry, man. I'm just, just in a weird just mood. bad shit crazy. Hey! Okay, I'm... <laughs> okay, where was I? What am I even talking Brian about Walters. here? Right, the football player. He's analyzing scats. Yes. So, analyzing scats that were sent to him from a property near... Now, how the heck do I pronounce this? Ooh. Win, oh, it's just Winchelsea, I Win guess. Winchelsea, Winchelsea, yeah. Victoria. Yeah, from farmers that were really concerned that there was some sort of predator about. And the thing is, is that they seemed... The scats were different, like you said at the beginning. They were mm, they had really much pungent. more pungent different kind of a look to it didn't look like it was and it's out for display <laughs> yeah didn't look like it was a fox or anything like that so he gets these scats sent to him and he's like yeah i went through it and it was quote fox 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 hmm. is exactly what he said but then he got to this one sample that was particularly pungent and he knew it was something different because you can just tell by the smell he said quote it makes your eyes water and i thought what's going on here something else it has to be something else so he cleaned it up and sent the analysis to one of the most reputable labs nearby to him. Mm-hmm. And it came back as American Mountain Lion. What? Very strange. So, of course, at first, he, at first he assumed that this was wrong or that he was being hoaxed in some way. So he sent the samples again to two other experts that he knew. And he basically did it sort of like a blind, blind study sort of thing, right? They mm-hmm. both came back as the same and then when he told them what it was, like what he had, what he had gotten results for as well, they both said, basically covering their butts, wrote that if this came from the wild, it came out of an American mountain lion. So if this came from the wild, mm. sort of implying that somebody either planted it. Yeah. And then the second said, I can't actually uh, confirm or deny if this is from an American mountain lion. Huh. So that's kind of a very... I feel as though officials from the Australian side of things definitely toe that line where it's very ambiguous. And, like, like it's almost as if they're doing it, I would say, not so much as, like, a cover-up, per se, as some people allude to, but honestly, more so to prevent public panic. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree And they don't want that. people going out being trigger-happy and shooting a bunch of feral cats, either, even if they are an issue. So I think that's actually kind of well played by them, but at the same time, if there is an actual issue, they need to be addressing it. Yeah. But, okay, so just a few other notable people. So, again, we get into this um, sort of conflicting notions of whether this is a large marsupial cat or if this is, like we said, like a puma or mountain lion of sorts. Yeah. 
So Rex Gilroy, he is a researcher of the field. He has written a book. It's called Big Cats of the Australian Wilderness. And he insists that there are panthers moving mostly between the Hunter area and then between that and the Blue Mountains region. Okay. And he is of the mind that these sightings are actually of a large marsupial cat. So something originating from those ancient ancestors. So from the some sort of an era. offshoot. Exactly. Crazy. And He's obviously done a lot of research on this. I didn't go too deep into him. That was one rabbit hole. I was like, yeah, that's interesting. That's a good thing to note. Uh, another one was obviously this Vaughn King that we have mentioned repeatedly already throughout the episode. And like I said before, he is a big cat expert. Um, he did found the Australian Big Cats Research Group. And he's also a former handler of big cats, such as tigers and everything, at Australia Zoo. And he is of the mind that it's actually a subspecies of leopard descended from former circus show captives that were released or escaped. Right. And so, yeah, like, like we already touched on, he does believe that subspecies of the leopard, jaguar, and mountain f- lion families exist in the wilds of Australia. See, like, that's so weird, oh, right? If it could be here, an amalgamation. Sorry, just, just on air. His website is pantherpeople.com and that's where you can go and explore these sightings and everything okay. this is, has been an invaluable tool for oh us. yeah it was really neat it was really neat yeah I, I really appreciate his opinions I think he's a very level-headed individual and in that he's not he's not doing this to hype anything unnecessarily or create some sort of panic he just wants he wants what's best for the cats. Yeah, and he has a very strong bond with the ones that he's worked with. He went into this whole. He raised, like I said before, there was these three cubs. They're all brothers and sisters. There's two brothers, one sister, and he described how one of the brothers just got so attached to him. Like they had this bond that formed from day one and just went forward with it. <laughs> the other brother, very aloof, not going to be friends with him for his entire life. He's struggled. He does not have a relate, like a working relationship is how he describes it. And he always has to watch his background him because he knows tigers are notorious for testing the boundaries. And if you test them too much, they will let you know. Hmm. Not into that. And then his sister on the flip side was like kind of a bit of both. So she was a little aloof, but a little cuddly too. And like to sort of it was always on her terms. It's like such a typical cat, man. Really, you know, like totally. even George, our cat, he can get like that. But he's he's very amicable <laughs> overall. But anyways, it's just like so funny, right? Because they all have such engaging personalities. They're all wildly different. But anyways, yeah. So he just he really sees them as people. He sees them as individuals and as things to be respected. So yeah. Anyways, well, it's a good perspective cool. to have on this because yeah, a lot of the. A lot of people, especially from the short video clips and things like news clips and stuff that we've watched and prepped for this, people don't think the government is really capable of dealing dealing with anything mm-hmm. as it is. Like you, they 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 kind of complain that nobody really deals with the feral cat problem. So how could anybody go about dealing with a big cat problem and admit to it? Because yeah. that would end up just being dangerous for everybody, not just for the, the cats, but potentially for the people too in the areas that they're being found in. But I mean, it's like, obviously this is a weird thing. This isn't, this is a, something would have to be done if, if this was definitively prove proven. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very strange. I mean, so, okay. So that's where we kind of get into this section where yeah. big cats as a political issue in Australia mm-hmm. and the response from Australian officials and how some people think that this is a government cover up of sorts. Exactly. Not necessarily full blown conspiracy, but just more of like, can't be bothered sweeping under the rug. Even though it's being presented multiple times, there were several studies done, one in 2009, one in 2012, um, 
So yeah, I mean, so and this 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 is what I I put this first because I found it to be just so ironic because we were going to talk. There's a whole bunch of research done leading up to 2012, mm-hmm. but some that happened in 2011 just before that was really 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 like not conclusive but definitely evidence to be looked at. Yet in 2012, we have the state government of Victoria come out and say that the existence of big cats in Victoria to they found it to be quote, highly unlikely, even after they were sent evidence in the form of scat footprints and photos. Hmm. So that was followed up by a guy named Peter Menkhorst, uh, a director of environment, land, forest, and agriculture from the Arthur Ryla Institute, who were essentially in charge of an investigation into big cats. And the investigation was called off, citing lack of hard evidence to verify their existence in the state. Interesting. You have to wonder how much money they're spending on that investigation. Yeah, I'm thinking probably not a ton. He basically said in a statement, a review of the information pertaining to the possible presence in Victoria of wild population of unknown species was undertaken, but there are no records of big cats in official zoological databases managed by Victorian government agencies. I'm going to skip through some of this other stuff, but essentially he just says that, however, there are thousands of reports of big cats in the files of community cryptozoological groups and individuals. They went through and they classified all these. They, they, they went through the accounts. They, they talked to people who had seen witnesses who had seen these things. But essentially he's saying that he's like, he's not, he's not discounting anything. He's saying, however, some evidence cannot be dismissed entirely, including preliminary DNA evidence, footprints, and some behaviors seen that seem to be outside the known behavioral Mm. repertoire of known predators in Victoria or in Mm -hmm. Australia in general. Yeah. So that I find interesting. interesting. You know, that's funny. Like even the footprints, right? Because we watched several documentaries and stuff and there was, they outlined exactly like what is particular about a big cat footprint right the idea that their claws recede back so you wouldn't see the actual little like like claw indentation it'd just be like a a pad right and then as well there is that characteristic m wave at the at the very base of the foot yes so that again points to a very large cat not a feral cat no, no. and then the interesting thing too is that with the queensland tiger there is a subtle variation for the people who think they found that footprint because it's exactly like you just described, but then a longer back foot. Right. Slightly longer, like more of so a it kangaroo looks, looks like a rabbit or a kangaroo. Yeah. yeah. But with like a cat print. Yeah. Bizarre, right? Very weird. Anyway, really cool. But I, I thought that that was interesting because that's coming from an official relatively recently, not really discounting not you right not discounting evidence outright but not admitting to anything either basically just saying hey we did our right. we did our best well but that's just it hey so Wipe we get into this clean. we watched a very and highly entertaining documentary by animal x tv it was called australian alien big cats it was from 2011 yeah and so this gets they were sort of digging that hole hey like they're like there's a conspiracy there is a cover-up we've sent multiple samples from like, t- was it a tiger or a panther in captivity? It was a jaguar, I believe. Yeah, they went to a local zoo. Yes, and they and got, they got scat, yeah. and they got hair samples. And when they got them back, the test results for the hair came back as a black domestic cat. Yep. And then the scat was dog. Yeah. So very suspicious. And they did this multiple times, right? Like, there was the preliminary, and then they sent a follow-up, right? And it yes. was the exact same thing. 
And these were sent to labs that were the same local labs that basically government like agencies would be using for any exactly. biological testing. Exactly. And then they did send another report to the actual like New South Wales government that basically outlined what had happened, right? And they were like, they actually said in the documentary they weren't at, they, they couldn't disclose, just for legality reasons, the actual name of the lab that was responsible, but right. they passed along the information to governors and to local authorities that could yeah. deal with that and just be, just to make them aware, even if they were already aware, you know what I mean? But it's, it's funny, because they say here, this is a quote, is like, either this is incompetence or just downright fraud. So... What's the best scenario there? I don't know. You know, but it's very uh, man. It's yeah. very conflated issue, I would say. And it's not as if people aren't trying to do the right thing in government. Like even this guy, this is a 2009 New South Wales governor Nathan Rees. He asked the Department of Primary Industries to investigate these claims, and uh, especially related to the Blue Mountain area, there was a lot of panther sightings. And it says here, and this is a quote from an ABC article that was just. Uh, documenting the actual investigation it says Mm -hmm. here um, the department says it examined video footage plaster casts of footprints and photographs of scratch marks and sent hair saliva and fecal samples for dna analysis however none of the evidence has conclusively proved the existence of large free-ranging cat-like creatures Hmm. Yeah, and then it says here the report, although the report claimed that the paw prints were made by a very large dog, it was recommended that, quote, the department should continue to collect reports of unidentified animals through its website. See, I feel like it's so. like that, that, yeah, like that type of response is just so typical, right? It's like, oh, we need more, we need more paw prints. It's like, literally, there are hundreds of collected print samples. I know, it's like so the it's thing like you that's need- missing is a actual specimen. Yes, Right, which leads, which is going to bring me into one of my two kind of predominant mm. theories at the end here. Um, but again, to that point, though, just to say, now I know we're not dealing with the British Columbian, like, boreal forest, like, where it's just so vast and, like, way, way bigger if you go all the way across, right, and stuff like that. We're not talking about the taiga in Siberia where things can go completely unnoticed. But Australia is still massive, right? And their forest area is still quite massive. Yeah. I think it's 125 million hectares or something like that as of, as of 2011. I have that stat at the bottom. Yeah. But we made the point, I can't remember which episode, maybe it was Ogopogo, but where, you know, big animals can basically live out their lives and die in peace and their bodies are never found. I mean, mm-hmm. how often do hunt, like you can ask a hunter who's been doing that their whole lives how many times they've come across a grizzly carcass or a cougar mm-hmm. or a dead owl how many times even. do you see a dead owl mm-hmm. right even if you'd have to be looking really hard and the thing is too right like they even make the point that well that one anecdotal um witness account that said basically they've seen an animal go from being dead on the ground to being picked clean overnight there you go. Overnight. Yes. So, oh, actually, that's an interesting thing, too. From this documentary we were watching, they set out a trap or a, or a bait. Remember? They were trying to yeah. get an animal on cam. Right. And their bait was literally completely transported away within hours just by ants. Yeah. Like this huge thing of meat. And then, yeah, it was exactly. just picked ants, apart and taken away. And then just maggots. And yeah. That was it. So, if something dies in a remote location in a treed area in Australia... Maybe it ain't going to last that long, it's right? Not. And even even if it was in a likely place to be found, which it obviously wouldn't because these things don't want to be found. Yeah, and oh, 
Okay, so there were so many more little witness accounts that I didn't include in this. A lot of them did start from the idea, well, from the starting point where they're driving down a highway and they see something eating roadkill and then runs away and they describe it as like a panther-like cat, like so big and black. And sometimes it's fawn. Like I got accounts that were saying there was fawn color too, but that to me... I don't see these predators eating roadkill, so I feel like a lot of those instances could be explained as feral cats just being just um, decomposers, right? Yeah, they're decomposers totally. and they're just opportunists yeah. and that type of thing. And yeah. if you're, they're you're opportunists as opposed to hunters, very exactly, different. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, that to me. And obviously there's a ton of those, right, living in Australia. So, yeah. anyways. Yeah, it's, no, it's really it makes interesting. Me, yeah, there's definitely a gray zone involved in this, but... I, I, I want to believe, I think that, I think just for, if I lived in Australia, I would live under the assumption that there are big cats out there and that you need to respect these things. There was one actually from another documentary, I can't remember if it was the same, the Animal X or whatever, but it was, it was this woman, this Australian woman that was interviewed and by the, the, the researcher, the one that we said was obsessed with scat. <laughs> he was yeah. just talking about scat she the entire She just wanted to talk about scat. All of it. But anyways. She, she loves poo, anyways. Yeah. But uh, she she was going. She was talking to this lady who basically described how she encountered one of these creatures very offhandedly. She was in the brush. I don't think she was that far away from civilization or anything. But basically, how she described it, she's like, oh yeah, like it was huge, and it crouched. And she's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't at the time. I didn't think I was afraid because I thought it wasn't in an aggressive stance, but it actually was because it was crouching. And, and the, the researcher that was interviewing her actually told her, like, you know, that was actually a very aggressive posture. Like, it could have pounced on you, but you were probably just a little bit too big and a little too healthy looking. So I was like, mm, okay, we'll right. this one. But that's very, scary. that's creepy, man. And oh she described gosh. it as jet black too, so. Right. And that's, like we've said, um, the majority of these reports are of jet black which kind of gives it almost like the supernatural element to it because it's like a phantom cat. Yeah, right. Well, and that's hence the name, the phantom the cat. The Gypsum phantom cat. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. The other um, thing from this doc that I just wanted to point out that I thought was interesting, like just to match up with the report from Victoria, there was a New South Wales government official as well. I think he was like the minister of agriculture for the province or something. Something along those lines. He basically came out in a statement and said this is a problem. <laughs> like this is a problem that people are reporting and like we ha- we should probably be looking into this. That was just that was Sorry, he was a governor? No, was he it? was just like a minister like a minister. Like I Was he on his first term? <laughs> Got to get through two to get that pension. <laughs> In Canada anyway. Oh, I yeah, yeah. Well, it's a Commonwealth country, probably very Something similar. Something similar. Yeah. yeah. But it's like there, there's people in the government that definitely do acknowledge this. Yeah. Um, but then officially, the government of New South Wales, as of 2011, when this documentary was shot, officially set, denies the existence of big cats. Mm. And we're refusing to basically give any further funding, research funding or anything mm, like that. Okay. So the thing that this pissed, well, this, I shouldn't say, like this this angered a few people. Dr. Hart, who was a an ex um veterinarian and head of the rural rural land wildlife center and he's Mm -hmm. basically a wildlife ranger he he's gone through a bunch of these um witness statements and evidence and things like that and basically just said like poppycock like there needs to be more funding to put into this really um Mm. based on the uh yeah the the descriptions of a black cat roughly the same size and dr hardy yeah makes the case more convincing in general exactly because he is a vet he's 
like you said, he's head of the rural land, um, like, as, like, a wildlife ranger type of thing. Yeah. And he does say, again, like, the consistency of these witness statements that all describe this black cat of roughly the same size really does help case help the case seem more convincing to him. Yeah. But obviously, you do get those minor variations. From the Queensland, you get that striped butt. And then down, you can get... Um, a few more like puma type creatures where it's more like a mountain lion, more like a, a tawny a or a little bit different kind of, kind of a color, but mm-hmm. same features and same capabilities and stuff. Yeah. They finished off this that documentary talking to the mayor of a town uh, called Hawksonbury. Mm, I don't know if you remember right. that part, yep, but yep. Um, they interviewed him and they interviewed the chief engineer, the chief civil engineer. And they basically both, I mean, the, the chief civil engineer stated that he thought uh, there is clearly some type of problem, but if the government recognizes it, then they're going to have to deal with it. Therefore, they're not going to recognize it because they already suck at dealing with all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, which I found kind of funny coming from it's like a city official. And yeah. then the mayor stated that he, he even said there's been sightings even outside Sydney, many of the national parks. All this kind of stuff, but he still kind of isn't sure. But of course, that's him being on the, uh, you know, he's got to be covering his butt. Yeah, you gotta you gotta watch what you say, obviously, right? But it's interesting these these people in all different levels of government either acknowledging it or denying it. Can't be both. There's no consistency, <laughs> and uh, <sighs> it's frustrating. I man. find that uh, it's frustrating but fascinating. Yeah. I mean, where are you at with this? Like, what's your theory? What do you think? I am leaning towards the idea that this is some sort of escaped um, panther slash jaguar slash puma slash mountain lion kind of a situation. I like the idea that it could be this marsupial lion, like a descendant of it, but I just don't see enough of a connection as far as like between the witness reports and that. I feel as though it, it leans towards that you know, like the general descriptor of a black panther-like creature. So, yeah. But that's just it, though. It's like, it's not as if... (laughs) I'm trying to picture what this pouch could look like and if it would actually be something that could be identifiable on, like, you know, like... Because these are such fleeting accounts. And what if, like, I'm just trying to picture, like, cute little cubs, like, poking out the side of it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just like a kangaroo, right? A little joey. But at the same time, no, I I am definitely of the mind. Uh, I'm more in the Vaughn King camp. Where I, sort of I like the well, I don't like the idea, but um, the idea that it is escaped creatures that may or may not have escaped persecution as far as death by Australian quarantine officials, as in the World War Two uh, mascots theory. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or if it is just uh, zoo or sorry, not zookeepers, but uh, circus owners that are keeping their mouth shut because they're yeah. like. We don't get sued by all these local populations. What if it attacks a kid? What if it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And even like farmers, right? What if it attacks their livestock and they can come knocking on your door and get the remuneration for like, you know, the lost uh, livelihood mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know the, the, yeah. I mean, I definitely, yeah, I think that that's a likely theory, obviously. I feel like it would have had to have been, it started with escaped animals much earlier than, you know, the 20s and 30s. Like, mm. And there actually is, yeah, just to back that up, um, <clears throat> an article in the Mail Times of Australia of 1989 cited a 1877 report, which raised the question of whether um, people, it says here, whether wealthy young squatters, wealthy squatters, that doesn't make sense to me, okay. <laughs> um, had released lions in the mountains to kill ostriches and deer introduced by the 
Long, Longeringen Station. Okay. <laughs> Founder, William, well, anyways. So anyways, yeah, so they're, they're suggesting that this could have been from the 1800s. And that they could have introduced these as, yeah, exactly, we've seen this time and time again, right, where it's population control, introduce one species to control another. Doesn't really Doesn't work really out. Doesn't really work out a lot of times, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. It, like, I'm just thinking time-wise, like, yeah, if, if something like that happened in the 1800s, then that gives enough decades for, because they'd produce such small litters. And the sightings are so spread out. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like the ter- the actual territory that these animals would be ranging would be is massive then, obviously, <laughs> if you're assuming that they're all the same subspecies or same a sort of amalgamation of different um, species of big cats. Because, I, I mean, I'm not a biologist, but presumably they could all mate. Presumably. Right? Like a, you could you could crossbreed a but North American mountain though, lion with a with I feel a Brazilian. as though their mentality and their just way of being would probably negate that but it's like but but out of sheer survival in this type of situation if they were just released i mean it's not about in your own habitat defending yourself if there's a male and a female and they're both cats that's true you know what i mean well you can even get interspecies well this is a little bit different but that cute video i posted on our facebook forum group where it was like the golden retriever just adopts the baby jaguar or whatever into its litter yeah. literally is breastfeeding the thing yeah so Interspecies, man, it can happen. It can. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to totally disclude that. No, totally. Because I think that's, yeah, that's definitely possible. The other thing is, though, it's like I still like, I like the Queensland tiger. I like the marsupial, the marsupial cat angle mm-hmm. just because it was an ancient species. And, and we did, did know that definitively. they, definitively. And we know that the thylacine, which is sort of the more dog-like, wolf-like, similar kind of a creature that is also a sort of a related descendant of that animal lived into the 1930s and they actually weren't officially declared extinct until 1986 and some people still think that they're alive and out there roaming around and if people can believe that then why not the much larger queensland tiger version maybe it maybe it's black now right maybe it's evolved maybe it's changed maybe it, maybe it's more nocturnal hunter now than it used to be Mm-hmm. Because black is a very dominant characteristic. If you have black, that's usually going to be um, given to the offspring, at least to a certain percentage. And if it is such right. a small litter, then that's going to be quite pervasive. It, but it, it seems very unnatural, though, because you think of like Australian sort of outback and you think of the colors of Australia. It's more of like a tawny, sort of grayish, brownie, like sandy color, right? So you think that that yeah. would be more, um, more advantageous. As far as a uh, adaptable sort of element, yeah. But again, you, you can't choose your stripes, man. No, I'm <laughs> like, okay, guys, you have to go on to our sources and like take a look at some of the like. There's there's video clips and different. I mean, you can just Google it too, but like most of them are mm-hmm. black. But like, take a look and let us know what you think. It's, oh yeah. I mean, when you look at the infrared ones and different things like that, it's sometimes it's tough to gauge color and size. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of daytime sightings too, though, and a lot yeah. of and they're black. Paths. The ones that are in the daytime, the daytime black, sightings, they they look like a black panther. It's they like do. it is it is clearly and big. yeah, like and it makes me wonder. Freaky. It's like okay, the only way you'd be able to fake that is obviously if it was in some sort of zoo, right, or some sort of sanctuary of right. sorts, or if it wasn't taken on that continent but was placed as like you know cited as an Australia, whatever. Yeah. That would be pretty easy to do. Totally. But I don't want to really go that way. I don't want to discount people and be that no, I'm not, wet blanket. No, not at all. And I feel like there could be some variations regardless of what this could be. I mean, in terms of color, I do have a paranormal idea. Oh, do you? 
I mean, well, it wouldn't be into the portal without that. It wouldn't really be into the portal without a paranormal angle, I suppose. <laughs> what sort of strikes me about some of these things is that they're almost they're almost too perfect, right? Like they're they're almost too perfect the sightings, yet they're also they seem genuine. They come across as very genuine. But everyone's seeing not everyone, but they're seeing this black panther, which panther and there, a lot of them are using the description panther right for this which we know isn't actually a species it's just the generic description for any big cat that happens to be yeah. fall into that category right but the it, so there's that and then also the fact that the sightings are so spread out so if this is a small f- population of barely surviving like in a in a sustainable population how the heck are how, how are these sightings happening so at such disparate locations you know what i mean yeah it almost to me seems like there's portal? something supernatural happening here. Ah, like there's there. some sort of like <laughs> just the black cat element of it appearing in certain places. Phantom. There's yeah, it's like they're phantom cats. And I actually found this really interesting story. Um, well, it's not a story. It's just it's short, but it was really kind of neat. There was an Arthur Conan Doyle oh. um, mystery written about a black panther oh, cool. um, way back in the day. And it was actually kind of no, but um, what was interesting is actually people weren't quite sure where he got the story from or the idea for the story from. But he actually ended up being friends with Percy Fawcett. Does that name ring a bell? No. So, (laughs) so the Lost City of Z. So he was the explorer who went searching for the Lost City of Z. Cool. And him and uh, Arthur Conan Doyle actually became friends and sort of got chummy back in the UK. And. Uh, Percy Fawcett claimed to have run into a giant black panther somewhere on the border between Brazil and Bolivia. Oh. And so he told this story to Doyle, and people think that's where he got the idea for his black panther story. What's interesting is shortly after Doyle's black panther story, there were big cat sightings in the UK. And there still are, even to this day, black panthers spotted in the United Kingdom. Much less likely than the Australian outback, I would have to say. But I just thought that that sounds kind of interesting uh, because it just seems, it seems sort of supernatural. Or like clearly the creature in his book is a fictitious creature, yet people ended up having these sightings. Like lots of people, mm. not just a couple fleeting ones where it's like a one-off UFO sighting or something. Well, yeah. That was that. Oh, I'm trying to think of that um, psychological thing. It's like the psychology of suggestibility, that oh. type of thing, you know? Oh. I can't remember the technical term off the top of my now, head. Now, just, and just... You so know, it's funny, though, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, that just popped my head, like, cause I wrote that short story forever ago called The Cat is Following You. Oh, and okay. it actually, it just reminded me of that, right? The cat's following you because, you know, when you get these sort of... And again, that was a phantom cat, too, in a sense. Mm-hmm. It was a shadow. The, but, yeah, the interesting thing about this, too, is, like, just like circuses and early traveling shows and the the soldiers in australia there were definitely people who released big cats in the uk too right um so even even as late as 1980 there was a case where eurasian lynx and puma were captured alive in scotland really yeah Hmm. so can happen it just goes back to the whole thing like even when we did the ancient explorers for the chinese that they were bringing back giraffes and things like that if you see an exotic animal, if you're able to catch it, then you're totally. going to be carting it. And then inevitably with these big apex hunters and predators, like you're going to get escapes. You're going to get, they're smart, man. They're yeah. not dumb. They're going to take their chance. They're gonna, oh my God. I just like had that episode of X-Files pop in my head. Remember that one where he's studying the big cats and then it ends up he is the cat. Do you remember that? Oh, not really. What? 
I don't remember and he's that like, episode. And they bring him, and um, Fox Mulder has this crush on the girl that's like, or wait, is it a cat? I think it's a cat. I can't remember that I think one. it's a big cat. I don't know. Oh, shoot. I need to go back and, and look at the episode. X-Files but... tonight. We'll watch X-Files later. <laughs> but just to wrap up my paranormal idea, like, I don't really have <laughs> anything to, to really tie up. this up. I mean, who has ever has anything really to back this stuff up? Other than just, yeah, the fact that it's... Let's go catch it's, a tiger, man. Well, it's just so fleeting, right? Like, they're all, you, there's a million sightings, but they're in such disparate locations, yet it's this black, black animal, this black panther. Mm-hmm. It's like, it seems like it just kind of appears when it wants to and disappears when it wants to. Just like a lot of things that we've kind of looked at, hey? Like Skinwalkers, um, Sasquatch... Yeah, um, the other thing people. that ma- the other thing that sort of lends to this idea is the daytime sightings. I mean, these animals are nocturnal. Unless mm. they were that desperate and they they had to be awake and hunting during the day, like the videos and photos of these supposed panthers and and or supposed yeah animals are not. They don't look emaciated like they're struggling to find food, so they're up during the day just walking around for fun. It's got a sort of supernatural feel to it. Oh, that's it. Sorry. No, no. It's a syzygy. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, it's spelled S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. Lots of Y's in that. Mm -hmm. But it's in the third season of X-Files. And it's a monster of the week story again. But yeah, no. So so in this episode, yeah. So Mulder and Scully, they go and investigate. Oh, wait, no. Is that the one I'm thinking of? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm just on a... Tangent? Yeah, I'm just on a, I'm on a tangent. I'm on Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm sorry. But no, like, yeah, anyways, anyone that's in X-Files will know what I'm talking about. And they bring in that, she's like the behaviorist, and she's a very weird, not weird, but she's very non-human oriented person. So it's almost that's like That's starting to, to sound more familiar right? now. And then, and then Fox totally has a thing for her. We'll have to go check it out. Anyways, yeah. So, sorry, let's get back on track here. But I really love that theory, though, Andrew, because like we've said, there has been no bodies discovered there's been no kittens discovered right you would think that you would come across a situation like even like the um planet earth people right they go into like crazy remote areas and they capture footage of animals that honestly no one has seen like not like the general public has not seen right and you'd think that they'd be able to do the same thing exactly but it's like who's gonna fund it because they do they do have so much footage on mountain cats and things like that and yeah, we need they to should get do like a planet Earth cryptids. crypto. Yeah, Yo. that would be so cool, Davy. Because Davey it's Ambrose, like the documentaries on cryptids. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like the ones we watch, like they're so, like they're done for drama, like dramatic effect. Obviously, right? Like you know, they're out there for one day with their bush cam, and they're like, oh, we didn't see anything. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, we've had we had people come across. We, we've come across in this research that you know we're like. Hunters and trappers and researchers and stuff that basically say you could be out there for two years and not see what you're looking for. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you have any concluding thoughts? Um. Well, I kind of already threw out my my hat in the ring as far yeah. as what I'm escaped into. escaped animals. And, I'm uh, I'm of the mind that that is the most plausible, and that they're just not found because they're so like smart, elusive, and just basically you know predators that don't want to be found. I guess. Eh? Exactly. Yeah. I'm leaning that way too. I mean, I, 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 yeah, maybe there still is. Maybe it's a blend of both. Maybe there could be a paranormal element and this sort of an element where they are very real animals, but they're sort of coming and going through some sort of a portal because there's no bodies found yet. There's this strange scat found. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, interdimensional 
poops coming through? Like, no, well, I don't think so. Like, obviously, yeah. there's something real there, right? The question exactly. is, is how, where are we going to find this thing? Or what, what exactly can, what exactly it's going to be. I'm really looking forward to see the next year of research into this because I was surprised. Like when we started mm-hmm. looking at this, it's like 2018. Dang. Like there's a ton of sightings and a ton of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're going to have to do a follow-up and for all of our listeners in Australia, please reach out any information, any stories, any, anything. Let us know. Please. And thanks again to Wes for the yeah. idea. Thanks bud. We yeah. appreciate that. We hope you like this one. Uh, we really had fun with this, to be yeah. honest. Like, <laughs> it's nice to get back into the crypto, oh, the crypto realm. We feel at home in the cryptozoology realm. It's like for sure. putting on your favorite pair of old board shoes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode on the ABCs, the alien big cats of Australia. <laughs> we'll be back next week with a whole new mystery. We'll see you then. Network.com.